So a $10 million guy is not really mature yet. They're going through their 10 million is not really enough to move it. 10 million just makes you greedy enough to keep going. And that's where you see like a lot of like the entry level sales for like Ferraris, Rolls Royces and all of this stuff. People get to the first 10, but it isn't until after you hit the $100 million mark that everything changes. And at that point, it's not about saving or making an extra zero, although some people might be. It's about what kind of an impact am I going to make? This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. We're back again with our guest today, Sal Bushimi. Uh, you heard him yesterday, I hope. Remember, he started his career at Goldman Sachs in investment banking in New York, New York City. He's done lots of things, but again, he is he works with high net worth families. And when I say high net worth, I mean 100 million plus and, and uh, probably does that uh, as well as anybody I know uh, in building those relationships, which he is going to continue talking about today and some things that I know you need to know. Even at the end, he's going to tell you some personal KPIs. I thought that were interesting. Uh, what he liked to track as CEO of their business and raising money and speaking to so many high net worth uh, investors uh, and individuals as well. Back to the show and doing another segment. I want to remind the listeners, though, go back and listen to yesterday's show. He shared two rules for success, which I don't want you to miss, even two lessons they learned from Goldman Sachs. And some some things at the end, I think, that will catch you by surprise as you are trying to raise more money and work with higher net worth families, which he is an expert in. Sal, looking forward to diving right back in. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Let's do it. Sal, why is it so hard to raise money right now? Because interest rates have really thrown a monkey wrench into a lot of the things that were proven to have been sacrosanct. And that has been commercial real estate. And I think what people are starting to experience today is that they got involved in a certain opportunities they shouldn't have. And it looked pretty interesting because rates were at zero. When you have rates at zero for too long of a time, it invites unwanted participants in the market. And then you start seeing all sorts of noise. For example, crypto, NFTs, that would never have happened without zero interest rates. So there's been some sort of like a it, 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 that catered, when you think about it, that catered to a lot of people who made a lot of money very quickly. Same could be said probably with some multifamily off, multifamily properties. I think right now people are just kind of sitting in there and they're waiting to see what happens as it relates to a commercial real estate, more trades to happen. Right now it's more of like a Mexican standoff. Nobody's selling, nobody's, everybody wants top dollar, even though it's a Super Bowl, like pref is more expensive. It makes no sense to me. Um, and then also Silicon Valley Bank, sort of became sort of an issue too with a lot of people who are invested in the tech. So people are a little gun shy because of the effect that rates have had since being raised 550 basis points, you know, just in the past year alone. And that's really sort of like something that is pretty consequential because people don't know what's going on. And they also, we're also going into a, probably one of the more contentious elections that we've ever seen. And you have... Two former presidents for the first time going after it on stage. People are worried about Ukraine. I think there has been a awakening, if you will, with Elon, and this is just my conjecture, buying Twitter that people are starting to see and peel back the layers of the onion that certain things that were promised to them really weren't what they appeared to be. And they're just in wait and see mode. However, that's mostly like the, the upper middle class because they lose their job or whatever. 
they're out. The last thing they need is discretionary real estate. So they think. So they'll continue to apply it into things that, that, that hold. I also think that people, there are some people who are sitting on the sidelines waiting for the best deals to come. And oftentimes you don't know when that happens, but I can tell you we're probably far removed from that right now. Just based on my experience going into my third cycle, I think that we'll see probably in the next 18 months and, and going into the election will probably be one of the, probably the lowest points we'll see in the commercial real estate market. And depending on what happens with that election, that could be traced that could, you know, go into anything else at that point. There's a lot of geopolitical risk that's happened for the first time. And that's really become sort of an issue today. Yeah. What are your, your expectations uh, just for the real estate market or investing market? I will say, I know you're, you're not extremely focused on real estate this moment, it seems, but, but just uh, the economy, what do you expect and how's that affecting what you all are doing personally? I, I think there's some people who are the doomsdayers and I don't think that the, the United States is going to lose its U.S. dollar reserve status. If that happens, all hell will break loose. I think Jerome Powell is not a Ivy League. I'm sorry, he's not an Ivy Tower dwindler. He's a, he's a banker, he's a deal maker. One of my CEOs actually worked with him at Carlisle. So he's going to inflict, he doesn't care who gets hurt because he's a deal guy. He, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And if you look at real interest rates the way they are right now, meaning you're around 2%, which is not really that high enough. I think you're going to see interest rates go higher. And what that'll do is that that'll make the, the US dollar, I think, much stronger going forward. That's, that's my conjecture. I, there are certain things that I don't like that's happening right now. There's probably a lot more going on as it relates to what's going on uh, with the war overseas. But the single point, I think, of contention or failure that this world could use, that could kill America, is if... Iran or some adversary were shut off the streets of Hormuz, then you could have oil shooting sky, skyrocketing because you have about 26% of the world's oil there. It's it's, there's some contagion there with Warren Buffett's weapons of mass destruction with derivatives, and that could wind up hurting America. I will tell you that I'll end the thesis saying that cheap oil is good for a middle class, and no country has ever had a successful middle class without cheap oil. And this country was not built the ten dollar a barrel oil. Hmm. Did I go too deep on that? Or did I? <laughs> That's good. A lot of <laughs> things to think about. Speak to that. Maybe in conversations, how a hundred million dollar net worth family would be thinking about those things versus the two million dollar, ten yeah. million dollar net worth. They, I mean, the the best thing about that. That's an interesting question. Okay, so a ten million dollar guy is not really mature yet. They're going through their. 10 million is not really enough to move it. 10 million just makes you greedy enough to keep going. And that's where you see like a lot of like the entry level sales for like Ferraris, Rolls Royces and all of this stuff. People get to the first 10, but it isn't until after you hit the hundred million dollar mark that everything changes. And at that point, it's not about saving or making an extra zero. Although some people might be, it's about what kind of an impact am I going to make? I made all this money. What am I going to do with it? And that is why you're starting to see people make impactful initiatives into life science companies. Not saying all families do this or anything, but the other ones who are not doing that, what they're doing is they're going in the highest quality real estate they can find with the best sponsors they can find. Because to them, that's certainty of execution that they want. They, they don't need to get rich quick. They don't need to go into an apartment, a C-class multifamily 
in Reno for a rehab. They, they're not looking for that. They're looking to buy the class A apartment building in New York with the best renters in there who can afford any sort of inflationary shocks as it relates to cost of living. They they are looking for certainty. They're not looking, and I, I hate to say this, but they're not looking to have tenants in real estate who are poorer than they are, if that makes sense. They're looking to have, whether it's corporate tenants like we have in industrial or maybe a class A industrial, class A multifamily in a, in a, on a tier one city like Miami, New York, where there's a lot of movement and like wrinkle where I live. That's something that you're starting to see families do that. That's what their concern is right now. The concern becomes different. Everything sort of has a parabolic wave, but you also have to remember too, that the U.S. is still a safe place for rich people around the world to invest. And, and that's what you're starting to see is people still concentrating their bets in the United States to the point where we're actually seeing some, some states actually close off to foreign investors. Hmm. Interesting. You mentioned in yesterday's segment, I think briefly as well, and I meant to follow back up, but then you mentioned it again now like that high net worth families, definitely a different place, right? hundred million versus 10 million yeah. or, or, or mm-hmm. less, uh, but they're looking for impact. Uh, and how do you engage in that conversation to show that there's impact or that they're going to care about? We just had a, we just had a company just in February. We just received note that one of our investments in one of my funds called Avive, Avive Solutions, Inc., uh, was the youngest team at the age of 27 to receive PED approval from the FDA, which means that you can basically take a, um, a Coke can device and put it in your purse, put it in your car, or donate multiple of them to athletic centers and, and schools, because if anybody lays on the, on the ground, Unfortunately, it's become the norm rather than the exception as it relates to cardiac arrest. You can revive them with the power from your cell phone. And that's become very, very, very um, impactful because when you think about it, and I don't know what it is, they're not selling yet. They're, they're already commercializing and building it. Again, if you go to aviveed.com or Google it, you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. But the impact that they have is the bragging rights to say that they probably have impacted maybe 10,000 lives already in the past six months because of how many times this thing has been used to save a life. And that, and, and with the therapeutic, ther- with the therapies and some of the more aggressive things in cancer, and as it relates to drug discovery and company that I was telling you about, Thrive Bioscience, they're very happy knowing that they're making a mark on society that they'll be able to tell their friends. And it's like anyone else, your friends yeah. behind your back. I know the guy that invested in a vibe and all, or invested, owns part of the Steelers or this skyscraper or something. And that's really to them how their status is state as a function of their intellect and, 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 and their, and their character, right? A lot of people, I mean, it is every time I post something on Facebook or Instagram about this company, there's always, I always get a call from one of the guys saying, Hey, did you post that? We're getting more sales. It looks like it's linked to this. And I'm not trying to, there's no affiliate income or anything off that. Believe me. I just want them to see that, see that grow. But the impact, that there'll be an outsized return at the end. Don't worry about that. My, and you'll probably have a company like Phillips buy it. But for the meantime, people just get enamored with understanding on a constant basis that I communicate with them on my emails that, hey, this is what happened. This is a great thing that's happened. This is that keep it in mind. And those emails get forwarded and, and that really draws a lot of attention. And when you're talking to investors today, interactivity is so important. 
But it's, you got to call them, talk to them. If you're not friends with them, you don't want to be friends with them, don't engage with them. These are people who you're going to be married to. And it's, but you have to make sure you're understanding that you're not selling shellfish to someone who might be allergic to it. There are people who are not going to be interested in this. They're more interested in the sexier things like SpaceX or AI Scout or something. It's just a function of that person's character and their drives and needs and motivation. So we have, as I said before, with HRM started because there was a lot of real estate investors that became life science investors because they understood that there was an impact that they could make more directly rather than having to go through philanthropies and expenses with high expense ratios. And maybe you don't know where that last dollar is going. But once we showed our investors that almost 100 cents on the dollar goes towards companies like Avive or Thrive or any of these um, technology companies, now all of a sudden become more motivated because for them, they can see the impact tangentially, not just as a function of the profit, but as something much more altruistic. It's their deal toy, just like you were talking about at the end of the last segment, right? Yeah. It's, it's bragging rights. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's over Fine. coffee. I mean, when I, it, it, everybody's right. bragging about something. Oh, well, we invested in this therapy and that's going to cure who knows what's, what's going to happen with that. And that's really what people want are the bragging rights. Everybody's a social animal. They're all looking for approval from other people. We just sell legitimacy. All right, Sal, um, a few final questions quickly as we're running low on time. What's your best advice for passive investors right now? I would say sit on cash right now for the next six months. You can, you can afford to do that unless you find a screaming deal from Whitney, then yeah, obviously that's, that's something different. But I would say that there's going to be a lot more opportunities, I think, in the market when there's a little more pressure. And right now there's not a lot of pressure because nobody's really being forced to sell anything and banks don't want to take a discount. But after the new year, all bets are off. And if you can wait a little bit until then, I think you're going to see some other things. Of course, there's going to be screaming deals coming and, and everything. But I think as far as the general market's concerned, it's good to just sit on cash. And if you're getting paid 5% of savings account for a little bit, I mean, it's not, it's fine, right? But be opportunistic in case you do get that call from Whitney or someone like him. And say, hey, this is it. This is the basis we're in. And if you're basis driven, you're going to be fine. Right. Yeah. A lot of people weren't basis driven. They were using fluctuating debt, rate debt, pencil something that might have been a little marginal. And now they're all blowing up. What's the biggest challenge you're facing in your business right now? I'd like to get this scaled up. This will be the third time I've done it. I'd like to get this scaled up to about $100 million before the end of next year. I think I'll be able to do it with the book and everything. But that is a personal challenge between myself and my, and my partners. And I don't think we'll have a problem with it. But, you know, you got to make sure you're only as good as your last show. And thankfully, we've had a lot of great deals. <laughs> and perpetuates that. If I was Jim Cramer, I think I'd be at the bottom of the Hudson River right now in cement shoes. So... When you're, when you're an investment manager, you're investing alongside your partners with you. It's not like you're just an RIA or a private banker or financial advisor just putting things into mutual funds. There's a lot of responsibility with that. And so we have to make sure that we keep the communication going, keep the interactivity going, keep working with the investors and, and, just, and just showing them good news, bad news or whatever on a timely basis, building those relationships and the interactivity and we'll get there. What are the most important metrics that you track? Could be personally or professionally. And so this is professionally, I, my highest and best use as a CEO of a multifamily office is open rates on emails, making sure I, I'm getting a lot of, I, that's a KPI I look at. 
I also want to know how many reoccurring investors do we have coming into deals, right? Because we want to know what's the lifetime value of that, of that investor. And most importantly, I like to spend my time personally, not personally, but I always try to see how many new people and investors I can meet. And what I've done is I've actually told my assistant to block out part of my schedule between one and five for a free-for-all for people to, to talk to me between those times. Because in the morning, I do my workout and writing. And if you have a structure, this works. Because remember, you want as many people coming to you and attracting them with the right attention as possible. Because when it comes time to harvest, basically the more you put them off, the more willing they're going to be to open the checkbook later. Mm. What about some habits you're disciplined about? I love going to the gym. I like going to the gym first thing in the morning. If I don't go first thing in the morning, it's not going to be a good day. And I'll tell you why, because it just clears the way and I'm able to solve a lot of problems sometimes. But I also stack it with activities. If I'm lifting, I usually have a lifting workout, which I lift for a half hour, and then I'll do 30 minutes of cardio. And 30 minutes of cardio, I might, I'll always listen to a podcast during the lifting, but during when I'm on the treadmill or the Stairmaster, what I'll do is I'll just call investors or I'll return calls and just be very CEO, especially here's a trick. CEOs, especially life science CEOs who are wordy and getting, getting the repetitive holding patterns, put in, when, talk to them when you're at the gym because there's a sense of urgency and they need to get off the phone rather than going through the, the second holdover. So there's all sorts of tricks that I've helped over the years to save time and where you can compress a half hour conversation into five minutes. I would say the habits I make is to, and another thing I do too, is that I, I do this at night is I always try to affect four people. And I learned this from a person who I invested into a prominent family in New York named Stephen Hurst. He's in my book. And he always tries to impact or help four people a day. And so at night, I'll be sitting on my balcony in my rocking chair and my laptop, and I'll just be making introductory emails to people. And that adds a tremendous amount of value. And one of them, it, it, it to them, especially if it's in kind and it's not someone looking for a job or something, it creates a tremendous amount of value. Today, when I was speaking with this one person from the Adidas family office here who lives in Miami, near me in Brickell, I promised her that I would make a few interactions, a few in introductions because she's in life sciences and she wanted to see certain things. So awesome. Just follow up with your word. Be a man of your words. And how do you like to give back? I like to give back by... By doing those introductions, actually, I like to give back to it. That's, that's really how I like to give back. I have mentored a few people. I have not done that because I've gotten too busy, but I always make sure that I, if I'm working with someone, I treat them with the ultimate dignity and respect. And if they want feedback, we give them the feedback that they need. And we, we've had some CEOs that needed to have some feedback and that's worked out very well. But just being very professional, because I think today people who grew up on Instagram and they, they think normal course of life is what they see on TV, but you really got to be nice. And I would say always be of service or value first before asking for anything. Always be of value first before asking for anything. And you'll see that things go much further than you expected. Could not agree with you more about that, Sal. Thank you so much. We're grateful thank for you. being able to do two segments with you. And you've added a ton of value to the listeners and I. Uh, over this time. Uh, tell them again, though, how they can get in touch with you and learn more about your books as well. Sure. They can go to salvatorebuscemi.com forward slash books. There's a newsletter there. So you go to salvatorebuscemi.com. And if you want a free copy of Calling the Capital, go to callingthecapital.com. And if you want to be onboarded onto our 
multifamily office, you can send me an email to sal at hrn.llc. Thank you for being with us again today. I hope that you have learned a lot from the show. Don't forget to like and subscribe. I hope you're telling your friends about the Real Estate Syndication Show and how they can also build wealth in real estate. You can also go to lifebridgecapital.com and start investing today. 